Hello and welcome back to another edition of Talking Troy. This is the second version of this lovely podcast here in fall 2020. I'm Nathan Ackerman, an associate managing editor, of course, with an emphasis on sports here at the Daily Trojan. We are joined by two very special guests, but first I'm joined by two other co-hosts and I'm going to allow those co-hosts to introduce themselves right now. Hey everyone, um, I'm Taylor Mills and I am a sports editor with the Daily Trojan. Hey everyone, I'm Lachelle Smith and I am one of the sports writers for the Daily Trojan. Wonderful. Thank you, Lachelle. Thank you, Taylor, for joining me on the show today. And today we are joined by two, as I said, very special guests, two legendary football players from the 1970 USC football team, which of course we are about to get into. Sam Cunningham and John Papadakis. Sam and John, how are we doing today? Doing well. Very well. Doing well. Thank you so much both for taking the time to join us today. This is really cool, really special treat. The day this podcast is being released will be Saturday, September 12th, I hope 2020, which is the 50 year to the date anniversary of the legendary USC Alabama football game. John McKay's Trojans, the uh, integrated Trojan team, came into Alabama to face the, at that point, all white Alabama Crimson Tide and Paul Bear Bryant. The Trojans went in, uh, probably the underdogs in that game, they came out with a big 42-21. Want to make sure I get that score correct. Victory and John and Sam are both from that football team, from that legendary football game that had a huge impact on the racial climate in the South and in college football especially. And um, we got a few questions for you to commemorate this historic day in USC history. And Taylor, why don't you, why don't you kick things off? All right, before we get to Tuscaloosa um, on that day in 1970, I want to go back to, you know, your guys' upbringing in Southern California. Um, what was it like growing up playing football um, around USC, and, and how did you eventually end up at SC? I'll go, go, I'll go ahead, Sam. You're older than Sam, and uh, I was recruited widely all over the country by many schools, as was Sam, but... The cream of the crop was USC then. My senior year in high school was 1967, my senior football year. I graduated in 68 in the spring. And in 1967, USC was number one in the country. And I followed them since I was much younger. My father loved the school, although my parents didn't go to college. But he was an independent businessman, and he loved the independent spirit of the school and its sovereign um, privacy etc. So um, I was very, very attracted to the school and, and I, I jumped at the chance to uh, get a scholarship there. Well, my story is uh, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. I played for Santa Barbara High School, played three sports, basketball, football, ran track, competed against John in the shot put in 1968, right? I believe it was 68, yeah. And uh, got recruited by a lot of different schools, you know, but I fell in love with, with USC. When OJ was playing, I would come inside from out, I would come inside from outside to watch him play and the Trojans play football on television. Other than that, I was playing outside. So, and then they always seemed like they were going to the Rose Bowl. So that was the granddaddy of them all. And, you know, if, if kids have dreams, you know, you want to play for, my dream was to play for USC and, and play in the Rose Bowl. So at the end of the day, uh, I got the opportunity to be a Trojan and 
and also get to play in the Rose Bowl. So uh, that's pretty much how I got to USC and and uh, became teammates with John and a lot of other great players. And, and uh, you know, and our paths crossed with Alabama later down the line. You guys talk about how USC was in its prime time with um, the leadership of John McKay. What was it like playing under that le uh, legendary coach? For some people, it was cool. For other people, it wasn't cool. You know, nobody, not everybody likes their, likes their, their, their boss, you know. I was cool with him. Uh, you know, he, he let me play uh, the position I wanted to play. I wanted to play on offense because I could play both offense and defense. So for me, you know, I didn't have any problem. I probably feared uh, Coach Margu more than I feared Coach McKay. So, so you know, there was, there was a pecking order in my mind of who I didn't want to disappoint. And, and you know, I didn't want to disappoint anybody. But uh, Coach Gu was the one that, that brought me in, so I felt responsible to him to, to become a really good player and try to help the Trojans win a national championship. Um, at that time, head coaches were iconic. They had full control. They did not have uh, two press conferences and every five minutes and press releases and everything else. They they were uh, they didn't they could be laconic and get away with uh, anything they wanted to. They, they were surrounded by people who were very loyal to them, and it was necessary. They were surrounded by newspaper people who were very loyal to them. The media didn't have a thousand eyes like it does now. And they used paper writers to keep uh, hearty and healthy, and they'd eat together and drink together and, um, you know, fashion the script together. And McKay was in full control. He was extremely successful, very tough, very witty, and very attractive as a coach. And uh, I, I think that I would be lying if I didn't say I idolized him when I went there and everybody else did who went to play for him. Now, your guys' team was the first of its kind in the NCAA with an all-black backfield. Um, I wonder if, like, that was ever really, like, you could feel that. You know, you feel, you feel the weight of that diversity, the feel the weight of that, you know, first team really being integrated. Well, you know, most people think it was an all-black backfield, but it wasn't. Charlie Evans was a was a senior, and he was a fullback, a really great athlete, great fullback. I learned a lot from him, and he started the game. Uh, Clarence Davis, Jimmy Jones, and Clint, and uh, Charlie Evans were the were the the backfield threesome of that game that evening. And I got a chance to come in and play, which shocked the mess out of me. But anyway. Um, you know, so it, 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 for some people, it had more, it meant more because of maybe where they were born or grew up. Like Clarence was born in Bessemer, Alabama. And if he had stayed in Alabama, he never would have been able to play for the, the Crimson Tide uh, until possibly after 1970, if, if that game had ever happened. You know, and, and Tony Smith grew up in Beaumont, Texas. So they, they had an understanding of what it was to be in the South and how to, and 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 how the the rules and regulations of the South affects Black people. You know, me, I grew up in Santa Barbara. I just, you know, I just was me. I was Sam Cunningham and hung out, talked to anybody, which I couldn't do if I had went to school there or, or if you even just traveled there at, back in that day. You had to feel very vulnerable if you were not accepted and you went to the south the great 
independent movie hit of that day and time was called Easy Rider. And it was two guys who are different. They're hippie-style guys from the West, and they go to the South, and they get killed because they're different, and they won't conform to, you know, the mores and ways of the Southern people down there. And, and um, they had their own, uh, as Sam points out, their own um, culture, and they gotten away with it for a long time, you know. But Bear Bryant knew that he needed to change, and he needed to expose that um, team with many African American, great African American athletes, and yes, an all black backfield at some different points in the game, to expand. And he needed to show them not just the greatness of the African American athlete, but how they blended together with the white players on the team and how Sam would score a touchdown and come to the sideline and give each other a hug. We'd we'd give each other a hug and we'd trade sweat. I mean, that's something they never thought of doing. They never got close enough to black people to, uh, you know, be sensual with them, et cetera, and be real friendly and close and warm. So, yes, it was a shock for the Southerners, the Alabama fans, to see blacks run into their stadium uh, because there weren't many in the stands either. But there were more blacks on defense than there were on offense, I think. You know, so they, their eyes were filled with, uh, with many wonders. All right, I'm going to hand it off to Nathan to talk about that game. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of wanted to start a little bit before that game. When, when Coach McKay sort of told you guys that you were going to be making this trip to Alabama to play this game. Was it, did he, did he sort of ask for your perspectives and ask you to weigh in on whether or not you felt like that was something your team was comfortable going about and comfortable a a trip that they wanted to partake in? Or was it, was it more of a, you know, he was obviously friends with coach Bryant of uh, Alabama. Was it, was it more along the lines of we are going to play this, this game, Um, you know, we're going to be safe. We're going to be protected the whole time. But did you did, did 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 was the team able to weigh in very much about whether or not you guys wanted to take that trip? I don't think the team had anything to say about it. <laughs> I don't remember being asked <laughs> about how I felt about going to Tuscaloosa. You know, it was kind of was uh, explained to us that they had an opening for an extra game and they scheduled the University of Alabama, and it would be in September and. You know, we're going to go down there and play them like the great program that they are and, and try to come back with a victory. So it really, it really, you know, there was, wasn't really, it's like my mom and dad, you know, when I got in trouble and I wanted to explain something, they said, I really don't want to hear your opinion. <laughs> so it just was what it was. And, uh, you know, Coach McKay was, you know, he was, he was, the, he was the man in charge. And so, you know, they, they treated it as, as if it was another great game against a great opponent, more so than the cultural side of it or the, or the you know, the chance that anything negative could happen. So, uh, you know, thank God nothing did. Uh, and, and we're here to 50 years later to talk about it. I read and I've heard, um, I've heard you guys speak about this numerous times, and I've obviously read a lot about it. But I read that while you, you know, obviously knew about the racial climate in, in Alabama and the South at that time. I mean, it was, you know, kind of hard not to. That, that aspect of the trip wasn't at the front of your minds heading in. And 
you you more so approached it like it was a business trip, like you're here to play and win a football game. Is that is that true? And how much did you think, you know, how much how much did you think about the conditions you were entering into from a racial standpoint, or was it more about, you know, your, from a racial your, standpoint? From a racial standpoint, Nathan, we were the great liberators. We were liberating our because to the black people down there, we were there to set them free. They wanted, they loved their school, the Tide. They loved the University of Alabama, but they did not have access to it. So we were there to give them access to that great university. So it, it was divided, you know, to the, to the Alabama fans, we were a cultural oddity. You know, we were a mixed team, which they didn't know anything about. They didn't approve of that. They weren't with that. But to the black people there, we were um, coming in to save them, like we were a liberating army, you know, in World War II. They're out there on the street hailing us and uh, thanking us for being there. They're cheering us from outside the stadium. They're, there's a few hundred, if not a thousand of them, with transistor radios out there cheering us. We hear them roar every time we did something good from outside the stadium. By the end of the game, there were very few fans in the fans to hear the people the stadium roar. So it was, you know, it was a game like no other. You know, um, I think that game, you know, there is, there is truth to what John says. It was a game about liberation. But sometimes when you're liberated, it's only the illusion of liberation. Because those young men who now have an opportunity to be and play for the Crimson Tide, nothing changed at how the white people looked at them or looked at their families. It just, it, you know, we're, we're, we're cool with you because you can help our program win and, and, and stay in the rare air that we've always been in. And, 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 you know, it was, it was too young in the, in the game or too young in the, in the change in the, the civil change of what was going on for it to be anything other than that. Now, of course, over time, you know, when, when more blacks, came into play and more blacks were allowed to be students at the University of Alabama, you know, things changed somewhat, I'm pretty sure. Um, but, you know, just like John said, what they saw the, that night is they saw the future. That if they want, their program wanted to stay vibrant and strong and, and be respected by, you know, all the division one colleges and universities in, in the nation, they had to change, they had to make a move and catch up. And, and that game was the perfect avenue. Coach McKay and, and Coach Brian's friendship was the perfect situation to make it happen. And, um, you know, we just went and played and, and, you know, I didn't have any deep thoughts about it. John thinks way deeper than I do about things. So, you know, my thing is, is I just strapped up and tried to play well. And, and John, you know, John played well, we all played well. Uh, you know, we we had issues on our team uh, ourselves, but that game was not one of them. You know, I mean, that game, that team that we had, we only went six, four, and one, and that's mediocre in USC standards. But it will always be remembered for for how it changed the landscape of college football and 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 opened the door for uh, for inclusion. You know, and that's the most important thing. Everybody wants to be included, and you want to be able to go where you want to go and and be a part of what you want to be a part of. And that game helped that. 
That, that's a nice lead into another question I wanted to ask. I want to talk about the actual game for a moment because, you know, you guys won by 21 points. There was a lot to be happy about. What, what were some of the highlights, the moments that stick out to you, whether they were your own or the team's for each of you? Well, you know, it, uh, for me, my highlight was getting the opportunity to play pretty much. My, 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 my goals were pretty simple. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, didn't have anything with scoring touchdowns or gaining yards. Just get in and play and and hit somebody other than our, my own teammate and my own friends that, that, you know, we battled against during fall practice and during the spring. So, uh, you know, you don't ever know how much you're going to play. You don't ever know if you get the opportunity to play. But the one thing about being a Trojan at that point, at, at, in that era, is that if you played and you you didn't play well you got buried in the depth chart and may not have seen the light of day down the line so it, you know it was pretty it was pretty competitive so you know my 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 goals were simple just get in and play well uh so that i can play the next saturday you know and 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 i didn't know little did i know when, when i started playing you know it was it was not as difficult to play against them as it was to play against my own teammates doing spring ball because you know it, I mean it was holes were rare in spring and and it seemed like these holes that we were running through were big as you could drive a, a truck through but of course it wasn't you know what I mean so they were good but they were not as good as us and uh, you know but now you look at them and you you never even think about them being an all-white team and 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 or anything of that nature you know because they've had a lot of great players come out of there a lot of great players I'd have to echo Sam's comments. I'd say that we both had the same goals to play well in our opportunities because this was the first game I was going to start, and I was the defensive captain and signal caller. So, you know, I, I had to lead them. Majority of the players and some returning All-Americans were African-Americans on the defense, and I had to blend them in together with the other guys and, uh, and lead the charge. Uh, both of us, Sam and I, established ourselves that night. And both of us had a deep love for our teammates. Sam and I weren't real friends. We weren't real close when we played because we were competitive with one another. We would uh, we fought hard with each other. And um, it was a good example for other teammates. And our teammates loved us for the fact that we wouldn't back down from one another. And... Um, that's that's how a team works, you know. With the love grows out of a deep respect you have. So Sam was humble about everything, and you know, when he was praised so richly for what he did that night, he took it with a great deal of humility, which was perfect for the Southern people there, because the Southern people, you know, now nowadays you get the in-your-face, neon type of, you know. Uh, I did this and I did that instead of, um, oh, shucks, you know, I love my teammates. They helped me succeed and all that. So Sam was the perfect medicine for them because they, they he's so admirable. And, um, you know, the game was played so as not to, sure, we beat him well, but we didn't want to, um, you know, act like we're the world beaters and everything else because we won a football game. We wanted to win it with class, and we did. So 
I think that the, the Trojans had some good leaders on the field that night, and Sam was certainly one of them. You know, we could have put, we probably could have put 70, 75 points up that evening. You know, as many as we wanted, because, you know, by the end of the game, the third string was, was doing their thing with, with their team. So, you know, we, and that's how deep we were. You know, and, uh, you know, just, I mean, I don't know how other people look at football. I look at football as a, as a really simple game. You know, you, 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 you have assignments, you complete assignments, but those assignments need to be completed with 10 other people that you're playing with. And so that's when it gets a little dicey. And, and then attitudes and egos all come in. So there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts. But that evening, those moving parts were all moving the same way. And, uh, and you know, for, for, it was a great game for, for us as Trojans. Uh, as bad as it was for Alabama, it was a great game for them because they benefited down the line and have been benefiting ever since. Auburn, you know, all the teams in the SEC, Georgia and all them, you know, so to get a part, get a chance, opportunity to be a part of something so special is, is, is definitely a blessing when you didn't even know it was going to happen. You know, you just, guess, you just play a game and, and, you know, the rest is history. And so, you know, now we on the 50th anniversary, we're just trying to maintain and, and, and explain it as best as we can so that uh, people other who weren't there understand, you know, you guys weren't there, you know, so. I think it's important that, um, if I might add to that, that the game grew out of the great relationship between two famous coaches. Two coaches like that get together, the byproduct or the game itself is studied by others. So even if it, you know, no matter who was playing on the field, the game was going to be studied because a great intersectional like that played as the first game of the season is very unusual. So the game is, you know, something that everybody learns from. Well, magnify that with the, the fact that it's the ultimate race card game yet not played as such because the, the coaches don't want to shove the race thing down each other's throats, and they don't want to. They don't want a false battle out there. They want a football game, and it, I think it magnifies the fact that it, America can change within the structure of its, its institutions. I, for one, I don't think America changes on TV. It doesn't change because of publicity, and it doesn't change because of uh, false gestures. Or legislatures or in boardrooms. I believe America changes in on fields and in yards, people's backyards, in alleys and in neighborhoods. When people see the truth and they accept it for themselves, that's when they inwardly change as well. And I think that there were so many interactions between players and people down there that they saw that, you know, we weren't different. We were just young men trying to compete and play football and we were gentlemen all the way through like the great the great thing about usc at that time anyway was that it wasn't black and white players it was all cardinal and gold we were all the same colors and our coaches were strong enough and and wise enough to blend us into those two colors and when we played best those are the only colors that mattered so both of you explain how 
you know, that game was a glimpse of the future and, you know, how important it was for other black students, especially for Alabama to see even the opposing team, which was both of you, you know, playing in that game, but kind of just describe what it was immediately after that game, because y'all both were young men, young, you know, young men in this game and your job at that time was playing great, you know, achieving the goal, which was to win and kind of just also explain what was it like transitioning to a hero role kind of for other black players and black students at other colleges and even your own and kind of just the role that you played with that. My, my teammates made sure that I didn't get the big head and become too arrogant <laughs> behind one game. And, you know, and, and, and really you don't because the next week we played the University of Nebraska and they were, at the end of this 70 season, they were the national champions. So they were pretty good. So you don't really dwell upon what you do in one game very long. Maybe if was your ride, not, you know, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I went, got on the airplane and went to sleep, ate dinner, went to sleep and, and kind of, uh, you know, slept well. And, uh, but the next week when I played, I didn't, I didn't get to ball, run the ball that much. And, and I think, I don't know, John, did we win or did we lose in Nebraska or time? I think we tied them, didn't we? And yeah, we tied them. to become the national champion that year, I believe. They had Johnny Rogers, if you remember. Yeah, we tied them and, 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 uh, you know, so it, it, it was, a, it, it was a good feeling to be, to be uplifted and, 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 and looked at like I really was a really good football player, but I was just a baby and I was a better football player as a senior than I was in as, as a sophomore, but I was good enough that evening to, to, uh, be a part of something special. So, you know, the good Lord taps you on your shoulder and things happen, you know, you get blessed. Wait a minute now. Sam was a splendid athlete. He could have been a decathlete. <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't a splendid athlete, John. <laughs> yes. He was the biggest tailback we ever had. He was the biggest fullback we ever had. And he was the fastest of both. And he, he anyway, let me put it this way. The Alabama players never saw anything that big, that fast, and that color coming at them, you know. And uh, believe me, a lot of them stepped aside and just tried to jump on his back. So when you see pictures of the game and, and carrying two or three guys around on those uh, uh, by his on his hips and his thighs and everything on his back, you realize that it was a spectacle to watch, a great spectacle. So Sam could have done that any day of the week. They just didn't give him the opportunity, same opportunity they did that game. You know, he just got a lot more opportunity, and it kind of happens magically. After that game as well, what was it like going back to SC and just kind of the diversity inclusion that you experienced in the classroom, you know, off the field, just around the campus, the community? Was it any different for you after that game? Well, you know, it, it, the game wasn't on TV, so really people had to actually listen to it on the radio. And, um, uh, you know, so if they took the time to do that and visualize, they could understand, you know, they could see what was going on, you know. But, um, you know, it wasn't, it, it, you know, you got to, back in the 70s, uh, 
there were not a lot of black students on campus as, as enrolled. And most of the ones that were there were, were student athletes. And so, you know, I mean, we were, had our own little like fraternity and we hung out and just, you know, and tried to stay out of trouble. And <laughs> sometimes that didn't work, but you know, it, it, you know, we couldn't really celebrate that game, like I said earlier, because there was a game the following week. And, you know, that's the thing with athletics. There's always tomorrow uh, coming, coming even almost before you finish today. You know, in that game, we were 42 to 21. And, you know, it was over long before the end of the game. So I'm sure some people were already thinking about the following week and, and, and getting ready to play a really good Nebraska team. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, the thing about it is that you just, you just work with what you have. And, and, and myself, I don't really complicate things too much. You know, I learned growing up as a kid in the house, when I start asking a lot of questions, it, it gets painful because my parents, I told you what to do. I don't need to hear what you want to do. So, you know, I was the same, I looked at it the same way in football and, and I just tried to execute what was asked of me. And, and John, John helped me immensely become a better, way better football player than I ever would have been if I had never been his teammate. So, uh, you know, it's just, there's a lot of special things that I think about more so than, than that evening. I love that evening, don't get me wrong. I love that evening, but there's other things that I've, I've had throughout my career as an athlete that, that have been as satisfying as that game too. I have a question um, about your guys' perspective on what's happening in this moment right now with college athletes, with college athletics. Um, you talked about you were kind of thrust into that role of the hero of the team that was the liberator. And today what we're seeing is college athletes are taking that role for themselves. They're taking that role as the activists, the ones who are demanding now um, fair compensation for their labor. They're demanding, you know, um, representation on behalf of athletic directors. Um, what do you guys think about college athletes today taking on an activist role? I'm all, I'm all for it. It's, uh, you know, back in our day, it'd been a little dicey to do some stuff like that, you know, cause uh, it wasn't popular to be in your face uh, activist or something of that nature. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, they, we had civil, we had a, civil rights movement back then, but civil rights will always be around. I mean, and the difference between then and now is that we had, you know, Dr. King, Malcolm X, uh, and, and many others who, who led the charge. And now we don't really have that, but the diversity of the people protesting over what they feel is, is, is not right is just amazing. You know, the, the ages of the, the people and whatnot. So things have changed an awful lot. And, and, and I really appreciate the athletes stepping up for, for themselves to speak for themselves because they make, they make the universities in the NC2A a lot of money, a lot of money. And, and they don't have very much freedom. You know I mean? It's, it's like when I went to the, when I went to the NFL, you sign a contract and you become their property for the rest of your life. They can use my likeness forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and, and, and not have to give me any money from it. So, you know, it's just, it's just a crime of how that is, you know, 
So, I mean, it's leaning the other way and, and, and the athletes are getting more of a say and, uh, you know, as it should. And, you know, time changes a lot of things, even though walking and trying to change it, knocking on doors doesn't. So, um, my attitude about it, um, I have a son, Petro, who's a broadcaster. He's an Emmy award-winning broadcaster. He's got a radio show. He does the national games for Fox. So he has long had this idea that if an athlete goes to USC, for instance, on a scholarship and plays, fulfills his commitment to the school, plays four years, that he should receive I don't know, a certain amount of money when he graduates, 50000 70000 80000 you know, something to get his self going in a certain direction in a career or whatever, because not everybody's going to play football, pro football. Maybe one out of every, um, every, every class or one or two out of every college, you know, maybe not even that going to play pro football and make a living for a long time. Sam played eight or nine or ten years, but he's a rarity. You know, career doesn't last long. They, they call it the NFL. That means not for long. So these players deserve compensation for their work. Uh, how, they, how they divvy that up, I thought Petra had a solid idea about it. A certain when you if you fulfill your commitment. Because Let's face it, even though you play football or baseball or whatever, you have an education to receive. At least that was the emphasis when we went to school and continued to be the emphasis when my sons were recruited, and they were recruited widely. They ended up going to USC and playing. One went to UCLA and played. But the emphasis has to be education because the university has so much to offer. So they're just not playing football there. But football is a great aspect of it and I can understand how the debate how the debate you know goes on about compensation what is both of your opinions on USC football today when you look at the roster say you catch games before you know the pandemic and everything and kind of just the brand of USC football and what you've seen kind of the evolution of it from when both of you were there to today and just kind of the players that you may have relationships with on campus right now that are playing and just kind of what you've seen change and evolve for the years that have passed. I guess we had a good, a really good run from the seventies to the early eighties. Then, you know, we kind of floundered a little bit, you know, we weren't bad, but we weren't good. Uh, but we weren't good enough. You know, some people thought we'd never ever get back to where we once were. You know, the mar one of the marquee programs in in college football. But you know, in come Pete Carroll, and he brings us back to the mountaintop. Uh, but of course, that comes with some issues. And um, you know, the young men they they come here have to play regardless of whatever the issues are. You know, now we have a lot of great talent. We have so much talent, it's, it's unbelievable, but, but so does everybody else. You know, when John and I played, we pretty much got the lion's share of the talent. Uh, my freshman year, when I came in, we had, this, we had the six best running backs in Southern California. I mean, what do you do with six really good running backs? Well, five of them can't play against you. <laughs> so, so that's pretty much, you know, 
a recruiting deal there. So, you know, you, you, you can just play and do whatever, you know, and then if injury happens, get in and whatnot. But so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Trojan to the day I die. Um, you know, I just hope these young men understand. And sometimes it's hard to understand in this day and age what it used to be, you know, because it just is, you know, there's so much technology and there's so much this and so much that, that, you know, they don't look at it the same way as we did. You know, we didn't have all that. We just concentrated on our trade and tried to stay, you know, get an education and, and play football and move on to the next level. If, if that was for us, you know, but um, I love, I love our team. And, uh, and, you know, I like our coach, I, you know, I mean, you know he's here. To, he's here, so I gotta like him. And uh, we'll see how they here and 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 uh, and see what happens. You know, I wanted to ask one more time about the nineteen seventy game, and obviously this year with the fiftieth anniversary approaching soon. You know, we've we've all heard about it in class, of course. We all we all know what happened, but this is a story that immediately after the game was played, and for the first twenty or so years after. It, not, not a lot of people knew about it. Not a lot of people knew the story. And it wasn't until, I want to get, get the year right, 1999, I believe, John, when you wrote um, Turning of the, of the Tide, when this sort of became a national story and it sort of, you know, came into people's awareness that this was a monumental night, this night in 1970. I, I wrote the story and Bill Roden, who is a black, a black man, an African-American journalist for the New York Times, uh, picked it, picked it up, and wrote about it. Sports Illustrated wrote about it. They, they brought the game back, and the story generated. And Sam helped me with the story, and his name is on the story as well, as well as Mark Huska's name is on the story. Mm -hmm. I started it; they helped me finish it, and the story became a basis for the book, which is called Turning Up the Tide, written by the famous sports author in collaboration with Sam and I, Don Yeager. And um, as we talked about the book already a little bit, and um, then, you know, the interest picked up in it. Uh, Showtime did a documentary on it called, and it called the game the most important game ever played in college football. Uh, HBO has done a documentary about it. CBS has done a documentary about it. And um, we're waiting for this movie deal now so that it, it can be the first major motion picture about Trojan football and high time. And it's not about a Rose Bowl win, and it's not about a national championship. It's not about any of that. It's about USC being a, truly a team and going someplace and helping an, another university become more of a team. And I think it's a great theme and uh, says great things about our university, what we have to offer. So... I'm very proud of the fact that it'll, um, so many good things have come this way because of this story, because of what it has to offer about our school, what it says about our school and the leadership we've had. Remember, the game was forgotten for a good, from 1970 till the end of this, end of the century, because it was played to be forgotten. It wasn't played as a, um, to be played on a fast track you know, or in a soundtrack, it was it was played up to go under the radar, and 
uh, have a subtle effect in the community where it was played. And that way that effect was widespread. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how effective that message was, that humble message was. In the decade of the 70s with African-American, uh, Alabama went on to have the most successful uh, decade in the history of college football, three national championships. And at the end of the decade in their 1979 team picture, you can see that they had about 18 blacks on their team, same number we took down there in 1970. I think that's an interesting, <laughs> that's, that, it's a lot more than a coincidence. It's something that's a byproduct of two brilliant coaches getting together and um, doing something special. So we talked about the game being one big moment, especially for both of you, but what are some other big moments or pivotal moments that you learned at SC? It could be on the field or off the field that kind of just stayed with you forever and will forever stay with you, a story that maybe you haven't shared with other people, but one kind of moment that you feel like really just like will always be there. And do you remember when I was standing by Tommy Trojan and you asked me what I was going to do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. What did I tell you? Tell the lady what I told you. I asked him what he was going to do because he was, he was done. No more football for the Trojan. He said, well, I'm going to marry my girlfriend, which is his wife now. And I'm going to open a restaurant, which he opened up and ran for almost 40 years. Uh, that's, the one, that's the one thing that I, I respect and appreciate about John. He, he's usually... Whatever he says he's going to do is pretty much a lock that he's going to do it or attempt it. And, and, you know, not everybody's like that. You know, not everybody's like that. He has a work ethic that's second to none, you know, it comes from his, from his dad and mom and it comes from his granddad and his grandmom. And, 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 you know, I just appreciate that so much because, you know, he's allowed me to be a part of his family and, uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of hang out and, you know, whether they like me or not. Falling in love and marrying a beautiful young woman and also forming an ambitious plan for myself to be a businessman. You know, and, and that's what the university had to offer me. I don't think I would have found that had I not stayed there four years. It takes time to, you know. So I think that, you know, when I, when I look back on what you asked the question about compensation for athletes, and what the guys today are asking for, fighting for, and uh, my son Petros's suggestion, it makes sense, you know, that they, um, that, but they should stay in school for four years and qualify for that compensation so they can really benefit from the place they're at, not, not be mercenaries and run around from school to school. I, I object to the fact that the coaches do that. They should stay and fulfill their five-year contracts if they have them. I'm very traditional that way. You know, give it time, see if it works. Anyway, that's the way I feel about that. Well, you know, you're you're only one player away from not playing ever again. So, of course, as an athlete, as a football player, we we don't think we're ever going to get injured, but the chances of getting injured are real high. And so, if you're not prepared in any type of way to to deal with not being able to play, then your life becomes a mess. Become a Super mess. And, uh, you know, but you, you, I mean, we're blessed with an enormous amount of talent and we share that talent with, with 
with you know the university and 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 people who love the game of football and and uh you know some people would say that education is compensation enough but sometimes you know if you stay only there two or three years if you stay two years three years you don't get you don't finish and you may never come back you know so uh i'm with john they need to they need to play for i you know i had to play four years john had to play four years uh you know it was different in the old days uh and i can say that now because i'm 70 but uh you know the, the the real true thing is that uh i had one professor in in, in the class he teaching the only thing i got out of his class that he was teaching was that there was no such thing as a free lunch now, if everybody understood that, we'd be <laughs> we'd be all right. You know what I mean? But everybody doesn't understand that. You know, they think if somebody gives you something that you don't ever have to come back and, and do something for them. You never know when that when that knock on the door comes. So uh, you know, be wise about who's around and what you do. Wow, I'm sorry. Sam, thank you very much once again. And to the other young people. Um, thank you very much for, you know, giving us exposure to your audience and letting us, uh, our love, our mutual love for the university. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really, we all really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been really awesome. All of you, all of your questions, you guys ask some pretty different questions, make me think about it. Because I've answered a lot of questions about this game over 50 years. Some of them are just repeats of old questions, but you guys have some questions have made me think about a lot of different things other than just the game. Well, that's what we always try to do here on Talking Troy. We always try to keep it fresh. Thank you so much for allowing us to do that, seeing where this goes. It's been really awesome to have you on the show. Thank you again. And that's going to do it for this edition of Talking Troy. Thank you so much again to John Papadakis and Sam Cunningham for joining us on the show today. Um, and thank you, of course, Taylor Mills, Lachelle Smith, for joining me today. Um, we hope you, I hope you had a great time. I hope everybody involved had a great time. Thank you, Eduardo, our wonderful podcast editor. And again, that's going to do it for this edition of Talking Troy. As I always say, I don't know when we're going to be back, but we're going to be back. And until then, thanks for tuning in. Bye down, everyone. <laughs> it was me.